Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Sarah Nelson from realbalance.com, and we will be discussing why and how to grow your email list. Sarah Nelson is the food blogger behind RealBalance.com, a site dedicated to sharing low-carb, keto, and nut-free recipes. Since 2017, Sarah has shared delicious, nutritious, and allergy-friendly recipes with her thousands of blog readers and social media followers. In addition to food blogging on her own site, Sarah is a blogging coach and teaches bloggers how to grow and scale their blogging businesses. Sarah lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with her husband, Ryan and their Boston Terrier Rose Dower. Did I pronounce that correctly? Rose Dower, so close. Rose Dower, <laughs> the most complicated name. <laughs> Where did you get the name Rose Dower? That's so unique. Yeah, it is super unique. So there is a old TV show from like the '90s called Mystery Science Theater 3000. If uh, you know, some people are out there probably like, yes, I've heard of it, and everyone else is like, nope, never. Um, and it's basically a show that they like make fun of bad movies. It's super hilarious and it's very like timeless. Anyways, one of the most popular movies that they made fun of, the main character in that is Zap Rouse hour and we thought my dog looked like this guy it's just like a really derpy looking box-faced animal so he's a boston terrier so if you know what boston terriers look like they're basically just all head and skull that's hilarious i love hearing <laughs> how people get the names for their pets i always right. think that's interesting and it's all it's always like rose we just say it like rouse or rousey is like you know much easier for people i'm <laughs> sure that's a cute nickname too well i'm excited to chat with you today about email list growth sarah before we dive into the topic take a minute to give us a fun fact about yourself sure so i guess the most like relevant fun fact for like what's going on in my life right now is I'm pregnant with my first baby. So that's super exciting and kind of, I'm still like wrapping my head around every day. It's like, how is this happening? And like, biologically, how is this possible? I just like had never, like we had never planned on like having a kid. So it's been super fun. And the process is like extraordinary to say the least. So yeah, we're due in January. So that's kind of like, you know, I plan I'm planning my whole schedule for my blog based on like this baby coming. So I'm kind of like ramping up my schedule so that when like in January when she comes, like I can actually take a maternity leave. At least I hope so. Yes. Well, that's exciting. Congratulations. And your first two. That's even more exciting. Yeah. It's like so it's just so crazy. Like just all the things that you go, you know, like I have friends that have had kids before, but I never like took a deep interest, quite frankly, in like what like the pregnancy process was. And it's just amazing. Every day is just something new and cool. And yeah, it's it's very, very neat. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And congrats again. Thank you. Yes. So let's get to our main topic today. Why and how food bloggers should be growing their email lists. Email lists are one of the most overlooked aspects of food blogging, I think. They hold so much value and so much power for us as food bloggers, but a lot of us don't seem to put the time and energy into learning how to best utilize them. Personally, I 
totally underutilized my email list. My blog is almost nine years old, so I have a fairly big list of subscribers and I absolutely do not use my list in the way I know I should. So I'm super excited to learn from you today, Sarah. So why don't you start by explaining the importance of an email list and especially for food bloggers? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that you really nailed it on the head there that we know the power of email lists. Like if you listen to like any marketing book, uh, podcast or whatever it might be, they will for sure mention email lists. But I feel like as bloggers and specifically food bloggers, we don't know how to utilize this marketing platform. So a lot of people just let it fall to the wayside. Also, email just isn't very sexy to be, you know, totally honest with you. Like a lot of people want to go on social media and they want to see the Instagram following numbers and the Facebook likes on your page and things like that. Email lists are a little bit more hush hush. You don't necessarily know how many subscribers you have on your list or how many subscribers another blogger may have on their list. But it is truly the most powerful marketing platform that you can utilize within your business. We, in my business um, in 2018, that was the sole focus was to to grow my list. And every moment that we are growing my list, I'm growing my income. So if you're in the business of blogging, meaning you are food blogging to make money, which a lot of us are, I know I am. Um, this is definitely a hobby that I had, but now it's like my sole uh, income source. So anything I can do to make money, especially, especially passively make money, I'm going to do so. So I think that's first and foremost, the point that I really want to get across is that we let email lists just kind of like we hear about it and we're like, oh, I know I need to make something free to give away. And then we do that. And then we get people on our list and then we kind of just leave them hanging there. And then, you know, we email them six months down the road and they're like, wait, who are you? You know, they haven't heard from us. They don't know who we are. And that really is like defeating the purpose of working hard to get them on our list. So today, I definitely want to talk about like why we want an email list, why to start one, and then how to keep people on your list. Um, the main things are like, us, you know, when we're thinking about Facebook and Instagram, every single day, we're hearing about algorithms. Unlike an email list, we're not fighting with an algorithm. We purely own that platform and we can get in people's inboxes as often as we want to without fighting with, you know, pay to play, we're not having to deal with like Facebook ads and things like that can that can get really, really costly, especially if you're someone that's a new blogger, and you don't have a ton of money to put into ads. That's where an email list comes in. It's, it's quite cheap to get it started. And sometimes it can be purely free, depending on what platform you use and kind of how you're building everything. And the other thing is, is think about yourself, how often are you refreshing your inbox? It's like, the, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's like almost 50% of people check their email more than like three times a day. I'm constant. I mean, I'm a little bit addicted to my email. I, I check it, you know, all the time. I just want to see what's coming through, especially as a business owner. But even just like the lay person that isn't doing online marketing, they are checking their emails. And you can see that by just purely looking at someone's open rate and their click through rate, which are the metrics that are the most important when it comes to an email list. Um, I love I need to point out one thing that you said that I loved, which is the most powerful marketing platform is your email list. And I don't think that a lot of people think of it that way. Because like you said, it's so easy to want to accumulate all of these emails. And then what do we do with them? I am in the exact same boat. I worked for a long time to get email addresses. And then like, what do I do? They just sit there. It is a really powerful tool. I also liked not sexy, but free and easy. Yeah. 
And that's such a great, like, it's just, I really want to harp on that because when we think about it, like when you're going into like an actual like brick and mortar store, like let's say you're going to your favorite clothing store, very rarely are they like trying to push like, Hey, follow us on Instagram. They want you to be on their email list so that they can sell to you constantly. Like most of the time, a lot, you know, like a lot of our email inboxes are very often, you know, they're, they're emails from our favorite stores that we've purchased from, especially online purchases. You make that purchase, you're subscribed to their email list, they're going to try to continue to sell to you because you've already told them, Hey, I'm interested in the product that you have. Let's see if we can get you, get you to come back again, which is exactly the whole process that we do as bloggers. Hey, here's this free content, sign up, you can get this free ebook or cheat sheet or what have you. And then I'm going to continue to sell to you down the road. And I'm going to keep you on this list by serving you constantly so that when I am ready to sell, you're ready to buy. That is so true because pretty much every store you go into, that's what they ask you at the register. Can I have your email? Exactly. They're not saying, hey, follow me on Instagram. I mean, it's nice. And like like I was saying, the vanity numbers of these social media platforms, it's it's hard to ignore. You know, I, I do it too. And I'm looking at like, why isn't my Instagram growing faster? But these platforms are ever changing and their main goal is to make money. And they can make money off of creators like us by us paying for ads. So if you don't have the budget, and that's the thing is Facebook is constantly changing. And if you don't have a, a huge ad, bu- ad budget, which most of us do not, it's really, really hard to be successful on these platforms. So by getting your email list going, putting the work into it for a few weeks in the beginning, you're going to reap the benefits for years to come. I absolutely love that. And I liked what you said also about um, lists being directly related to income. I do not think of it like that, but that has such power. Yeah, absolutely. Direct impact to income. Wow. I mean, all of us are wanting that, right? Right, right. And that's the thing is if we can build our list and we can see it happen, like I can look at the metrics of my email list and of my blog traffic, meaning that then that trickles down to ad revenue and affiliate income and things like that. But I also like I do, you know, I sell to my list directly through with digital products. I have, um, you know, a few recipe eBooks that I have, and I also offer blog coaching. So I'm selling directly to my list and I I'm seeing that money come back and then some, because my whole like idea behind blogging and a, being a business owner is that, I, I mean, I'm very money motivated and I know as a woman, that's like not usually a thing that we're supposed to say, but I definitely am very money motivated. And I do invest a lot of money into my site, but for every $1 I'm investing, I expect to make $2 back. And I've seen that with my email list that putting $1 in, I'm getting $5 back. Wow. that That's a huge return on investment. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's once you work on it and you get it into whatever platform you're using, it's extremely automated. You can set all these things up and then it just does the work for you. It's not like I'm constantly sitting in ConvertKit and, you know, writing emails every single day. We spent, you know, a good chunk of time, you know, a year ago getting everything set up and now it just does the work for us. Mm, you do a lot of upfront work, but yeah, those automations really are magic. Magic. That's the exact word. I love it. I better move on because I have a lot of questions for you. So once we start accumulating a list of subscribers and we have those emails in our hands, how do we best take care of them? Talk to us about ways that we can create actual fans from those email lists. Yeah, I love that. So basically, the way that I always say is that we want to nurture our audience. And that's why quite literally, when we're thinking 
of um, what some people call a welcome sequence. It's also very commonly referred to as a nurture sequence. We want to nurture these people. We want to take care of them. We want to serve them as a resource by giving them, especially in um, terms of food blogging, free content, whether that be, you know, um, sending them dedicated emails that have a full recipe in them or just sending them a link to your most recent post. We do that every week. And that is a manual process that isn't automated. You know, the day that I have a new recipe that goes up, we're going into my email service provider and we're putting we're basically just verbatim copying and pasting the first few lines of the blog post, putting that in an email. And we're sending that out to my subscribers to say, hey, I have a new recipe. And to them, they're like, wow, this is being sent to me for free and I didn't have to do anything for it. But then also they're coming to my site and then I'm making ad money off that traffic or, you know, like I said, through affiliate sales and just further showing them that I'm a valuable and trusted resource so that later down the road, if I wanted to, I could sell them to, you know, one of my eBooks or an affiliate sale. Cause I'll, I use my email list for that too. It's not solely to just bring traffic to my site. I work closely with just a very select few, um, affiliate programs. And when, when they have a sale, I'm selling to my audience and my audience is buying because they're used to me selling to them. It doesn't just happen out of the blue that one day I, I sell them on an affiliate sale and then I don't talk to them again for six months. And then I'm doing another affiliate sale. I'm consistently sometimes multiple times a week giving them free content, whether that be through a broadcast that I'm manually putting in with my new content that just came out that week or through a welcome sequence that's purely automated. And basically, if you don't know the tech part of um, a welcome sequence, it's basically just set up the, the date that they subscribe to your list. You can set it up how, uh, however often you want them to receive an email from you and you can change it up. So your uh, initial email after they sign up should go out immediately. You know, they want to hear from you. You want to email them and get in their inbox right away. And then you might email them again tomorrow. And then the next email might be four days from now. And the next email might be seven days from now. My nurture sequence, we've been working on it for a long time, but it's over six months long. And we're emailing, like I said, multiple times a week. And in all of these emails, it's just giving them free content, whether that be a recipe roundup or just like a random slew of things. Like we have um, one email that's just five low carb and whole 30 recipes. And it's just five different photos from recipes from my site, a link to those recipes, boom, that's it. It took all of 10 minutes to put together and we get a ton of traffic from it. And it to my audience, it just looks like, wow, just more free stuff that Sarah's sending to me. I like your term nurture sequence. That is incredible. I'm going to use that. Yes, please. And I did not come up with that. I, that is so not my thing. I don't know who I heard that from. But yes, welcome sequence, nur nurture sequence. That's all the fun terminology of emails. <laughs> I like it. It just it gives a vibe of just like taking care of people. Absolutely. And then I you kind of answered my question. So from start to kind of finish that nurture sequence, welcome sequence is six months. So, and that's just what we're doing. And we're constantly building it out. And I don't, I, I try to like be careful when I say six months, because to a lot of new bloggers, they're like, no way do I have time to work on that. And then they just don't because they hear six months and it sounds so out of reach to do that much content. So if you're brand new, if you don't have an email list or if you only are sending your new content, if you're wanting to build out your um, welcome or nurture sequence, which you should, just start with one email at a time, maybe one new email a week that you're adding to the sequence and then just scheduling that out and then just consistently add another one after that, another one after that. And then as you go, and that's what we've done and we're constantly going through with most our most recent posts and then putting them on the bottom of the nurture sequence because that's the beauty of blogging is we can recycle content constantly and almost always 
that person that's reading it doesn't either a they don't remember it or they never saw it to begin with. So don't be afraid to use that. Don't reinvent the wheel every single time for your email list. Just take the content you already have and just put it into an email. They probably never saw it. And even if they did, they won't remember it or they're just like, oh, that's a nice reminder. I did want to check out that recipe. I totally forgot. Absolutely. Those are great points. Can I ask you, what is your retention rate on keeping subscribers? So if you do a six month or three month or whatever length sequence, how many of those people stick around? So I guess I don't necessarily know the data on um, retention rates. I will say, though, that my open rates and click-through rates are considerably high throughout the welcome sequence. Sometimes, you know, if I'm sending a manual broadcast out um, that's with like an affiliate sale, that's the time that I'm going to get the most unsubscribes just because some people just purely don't want to be sold to. And those people you don't want on your list. I don't take offense to that. Like, if those people don't want to be there, I don't want to pay for them to be on my list because... Uh, if you if you didn't know, most of the time, most service providers are charging you based on your subscriber number. So I guess that's a long winded way of saying I don't really know if the, what the retention rate, but we have open rates through the entire six months that the last email on there is like, you know, upwards of 30 to 40 percent, which is really, really good. I think the average for like our industry is anywhere between 20 to 25% is like a really solid open rate. And retention rate really shouldn't matter. If you are getting people who are actually wanting to be a part of your list, that is really what's most important. Yes. And that's such a... I think that that's really, really important that you just brought up. Uh, People... I, I talk about this all the time. People are always like, oh my gosh, I sent an email out and 10 people unsubscribed. Like, And it's like a mortifying feeling. You know, it's really, it, I, I, I felt it before in the beginning too. Like what they don't like me, they don't like what I've sold. But the reality is, is we're all unsubscribing from emails every single day. And it's not, we're not sitting there like, Oh, Sarah, she's the worst. She's so annoying. I don't want to hear from her. I hate her. They're just clicking unsubscribe because they just know that they haven't been reading your emails or they probably won't in the future. No one is mad. Like very rarely. And I mean, we've sent over a million emails from convert kit. I have the numbers in there. And I like, no, I think maybe five times at most, I've gotten a snarky response about an email. And that five might be even like a maximum number. You know, people just aren't doing that. They're not doing it to hurt your feelings. Just look at it and ignore it. It's just really not data that you need to even consider. Unless, of course, you're getting a lot of like, you know, negative feedback on your content by people writing back to you. Then in that case, I would probably look into what you're writing and, you know, see if there's like a shift that you can make with your strategy. But if they're just unsubscribing on their own, who cares? I say sayonara and I don't have to pay for you because you're never going to buy from me. Absolutely. No offense taken, right? I mean, if they don't want to be there, we don't want them there. So. Exactly. exactly. And it's, it, you know, it does get really expensive. As your list grows, it can become a pricey monthly expense that you have. So sometimes when, you know, like when people are doing that, I'm just like, oh, Hey, I'm going to probably save 50 bucks this month that I just, you know, lost all these people that were never going to buy from me, you know, like at all anyways. And we go so far as to purge my list. I don't know if you're doing that, um, but I highly suggest if, if, you know, people that are listening do have a list that they are, you know, constantly emailing people, you can do a whole process of going through and purging your list of people that, you know, haven't opened an email in maybe say 90 days they're probably not going to open one in the next six months. So you can get rid of them and then you'll end up saving money. We actually did just do a purge because for the exact reason that you just mentioned, my monthly rate was like astronomical. And like I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I'm really not utilizing my email list to like its fullest. So 
I was just like, how do I get rid of some of these people? And then we pared it down and it was still just so high. So that's kind of the point where I realized I I just need to start doing something with this. Yeah, there's certainly a strategy around keeping the people on there, but also realizing that some people are just going to consistently get your emails into their inbox and they're just going to delete them or altogether leave them unread. And there's simply no point to spending your hard-earned money on paying for them to be there. So while, you know, Instagram and Facebook and things like that have those very public vanity numbers, you know, sometimes brands do want to know your email list numbers, subscribers, and you should be selling yourself on that. But it is okay to reduce the number in the sense that you're going to be saving, you know, your own hard-earned money month after month. Let's discuss monetization because I know it is possible to turn an email list into real money. You talked about affiliates uh, just briefly. Sarah, can you talk about different different ways that we can make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, affiliate sales are probably the most straightforward way. So like I said, um, and this is probably a whole other conversation we could have, but I'm very like, particular and specific about what affiliates I will work with. So I only do, you know, very few, but the ones I do work with, I'm only, you know, I'm working with them and consistently emailing about them. So my subscribers know that if a sale for, say, Perfectito, which is a brand I work with, that if a sale is happening, I'm going to email about it and tell them about it. And then obviously, if they click through, you're going to want to make sure you're including your um, you know, specific affiliate link in those emails or your you know, coupon code or both, whatever you might have in that email. So when they're clicking through and making a purchase, you're going to make a sale off that. And so what a lot of people are doing with affiliate sales, what I see other food bloggers doing is they might not email at all about an affiliate sale or they solely post on social media. Social media is they don't really like when you're trying to sell to people. I don't know the exact like information behind it, but I know, and I just see it with my own posts. If I post on Facebook for uh, an affiliate sale, I can see that the reach is minimal. So basically I'm selling and taking time to write this post and it just goes into the abyss. Whereas when I'm doing an email about it, you know, I have thousands of people that are opening it and you know, it's not thousands of people purchasing, but I can send an email if it's a good enough sale and make, thousand dollars off of one email, which to some people, I mean, that could be enough to make you become a full-time blogger. You know, for me, that was a huge deal is to get to that point that people were used to me selling to them and were clicking through and making those purchases. Aside from affiliate sales, though, you can do promo emails that you have during your own launches. So if you have a digital product or even a physical product, you know, a lot of food bloggers have physical cookbooks, you should be emailing your audience about that rather than just saying like, Hey, I have a cookbook. Hey, I have a cookbook presale, you know, try to get creative, try to get them over to, you know, if it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever it might be, or if it is a digital product, getting them over to that link, offering them a coupon code because it's your own digital product. You can create coupon codes and really, really show your audience that you care about them and you appreciate them being on your list. So show them, give them 20% off. Hey, give them 50% off for, you know, a few days. There's different integrations you can use with your email service provider that will give them like a you know 48 hours to get you know 50% off. We do that very quickly into my nurture sequence because that's when people are most often opening my email still is we sell to them very quickly with a 50% off deal and they buy purely because they're still interested in hearing from me and it's a pretty good sale to get 50% off. Additionally, another really great way to make money is just by pitching brands based on your email list. So I I used to like just wait for brands to come to me 
for sponsored opportunities. Now I'm pitching them usually, and I'm selling them on my engaged email list, all the things that I can do with my email list and the money that we can make by utilizing it to its fullest, you know, whether that be doing a giveaway and, you know, it, us both gaining, you know, tons of email subscribers from doing the giveaway and that it is a massive ROI versus just doing, you know, like an Instagram giveaway or even just showing them if we're going to do a sponsored recipe post. These are all the people, you know, every time I send an email, these are the thousands of numbers of people that are immediately going to go over to the post and see your brand. The pitching brands based on your email list is a brilliant idea. And I just wrote it down. I'm going to do that this week because I've had an idea and I just was always thinking about social media and doing it there. And often these brands are extremely focused on their email list. And while they know that bloggers and the, you know, the, the partnerships that they're making with bloggers, that the social media following is important. And hey, you might be one of those unicorns that has like an extremely high engagement rate on social media, but that is very few and far between recently, especially as food bloggers, we have, you know, our hands in so many different baskets that it's really hard to focus just on social media. So if that's you, work on building your email list. Those people are going to stay on there more likely than they are to stay on, you know, following you on Instagram or what have you. Get them on your email list and then really, really showcase that when you're on these calls or when you're emailing brands about pitching to them. That is always the the conversation. And they're always like, yes, that's exactly what we want to do. As long as we can build our email list, as long as you're building your email list, it's, you know, it's very collaborative and it always pays off. I, especially if you're trying to build your email list, and this could probably be a whole nother conversation as well. But doing giveaways with certain platforms will not only build your social media following, but it'll first and foremost build your email list. We've used giveaways very strategically and have grown my list by, I mean, just with giveaways, over 10,000 subscribers. Wow. That's another great tip. You mentioned affiliate sales. I just wanted to say, am I right in saying that just being very selective about your affiliates that you work with? It's essential. Honestly, like if you're emailing about every single, not even just emailing, if you're constantly posting anywhere about this brand and this brand and this brand, and then another brand that makes literally no sense, like it's all of that authenticity and your integrity that should always come first. But also I want people when they think of Sarah and when they think of Real Balanced, I want them to know like the three major brands that I'm working with. And we're, you know, sometimes adding people because sometimes there's brands that I just genuinely love what they're doing. And I want to share that with my audience. And I, I think my audience can see that, that it's not just me just being like, oh, you know, buy such and such product and, you know, go through my link. It's like, no, I use this every day. So I'm not saying you only need to work with like three to five affiliates. However, I do think it's important to be very selective, get all of the information that you can from that brand on their products, and then dig into that. Do, you know, very dedicated emails and other posts about their, you know, sales or just their products in general. And then also you can kind of, I guess the term would be to upsell them and do sponsored posts on the line. One of the affiliates that I started with, you know, when I was almost brand new to blogging, I now have an ongoing contract with them that I'm purely on retainer to do a sponsored post with them every single month. And that's just the most minimal thing I do with them. I'm constantly doing different projects because when people think of them, they think of me and vice versa. Hmm. I like that. And sincerity is so huge for readers, I think. Sincerity. That's per- That's the perfect yeah. word. That's the word I was trying to come up with. That's exactly it. And they can see through, just like we can see through what other people are doing. So can your followers. They know if you're just doing something to make a buck. And I'm not trying to shame anyone. I totally have worked with brands and done things in the past where I'm like, did that make sense? But you know, yeah. we're trying to build a business. But as you work through it, 
you can be more selective. As you make more money, you are going to get used to and be really proud to start saying, no, I don't want to do that. Saying no is like a really beautiful thing. And I think it's empowering to be able to say, you know, I'm in such place in my business and in my life that that doesn't make sense for me. And my audience isn't going to like that. And I'm not going to feel good about it. So I'm going to have to pass. I feel like we could branch off on a bunch of like maybe have a few different episodes. I want to keep talking about each thing. I'm like, oh, I'm so intrigued by that. Maybe 10 different episodes. <laughs> yes, seriously. Part A. Um, okay, so moving on, there are a handful of options as far as choosing an email service provider. Some are super spendy, some are more affordable, some with robust features, some with fewer features. Which providers do you recommend and how do we know which will best fit our individual needs? Absolutely. And this is, you know, it's hard for me to say without like, you know, speaking to a blogger one-on-one. That's a lot of the reason why I do one-on-one blog coaching is just because everyone's businesses are different. They're, you know, what they want to do with their email list is different. However, I will say across the board, my first recommendation is going to be ConvertKit. I think that they are the most well-priced for the, um, you know, the services that they provide. They were made by creators for creators. And I all around just think they're a really great company. And this isn't like a sales pitch at all. I just truly, really love them. Um, I also think that their model is just better than most other of the free platforms. So I know a lot of bloggers and including me start with MailChimp um, and that's great. And that's fine, especially because it's, I think it's free up until like 2000 subscribers, at least it used to be. Um, and that's, it's a fine place to start, but I would not recommend staying. And the only reason I say is if you haven't even started yet, I would still recommend starting with ConvertKit, even if you do have to pay a monthly fee for minimal subscribers, because if you're going to try to get off MailChimp, the process is kind of complex, at least it was for me. And I ended up having to pay someone to migrate my list from MailChimp to ConvertKit, which, you know, did get expensive. And it would have just made more sense to start with ConvertKit. Um, And another like main thing, and I probably didn't even fully answer the question yet of why ConvertKit, I think is better than MailChimp or other place, um, other platforms is purely just because of the, the system that they have set up. So unlike MailChimp, which is mostly like based on like list based, so you can have multiple different lists, meaning you can have duplicate subscribers across those lists, which is going to cost you more money. ConvertKit is subscriber-based. So um, a way you can think of it is, let's say my email is on your list. Well, you could tag me. Um, they're called tags. And you could tag my email with all the things I'm interested in versus having 10 different lists on MailChimp and then my email being under all those lists where you're going to pay for me being under all those lists. So ConvertKit's super cool that you can you use tagging automation, segmentations, and sequences. And that's the sequences is what I was speaking about before with the nurture and welcome sequence. Um, And also the targeted emails that you can send with ConvertKit versus MailChimp is just much more powerful. People are more likely to open a targeted email, meaning um, it's more personalized. It has their name. You can do different things. You can also segment your list so that let's say that you signed up for only um, emails from me about blog coaching or about business. Uh, I'm not going to send you a ton of emails about keto recipes because while you might be interested in keto recipes, that's not why you came to me. And I want to make sure I'm giving you the most relevant content that you came to Real Balanced for. Is that something you can ask new subscribers? 
subscribers up front or how do you know like right off the bat what they're interested in? Sure. So uh, that's all set up in um, the automations in ConvertKit. And like I said, there's obviously this, this process is in a lot of different platforms. I can't really speak to them since I'm most familiar with ConvertKit. But what you can do is you can set up an automation so that based on the form they signed up or where they signed up, that tags them. And then you can also use tagging within individual emails. So let's say I am, you know, trying to sell them on my recipe ebook. If they click the link for that, I can tag them as being someone that is probably interested in my fat bomb recipe ebook so that down the road, I can re, you know, go back in, retarget them and then send them an, you know, a different sales email. So it's it necess- not necessarily like you're going to sign up and have 10 different tags under you. It's probably just going to start with like one or two, depending on how you set the automation up. And then from there, as they are, you know, looking at your emails and clicking through your emails and, you know, buying certain products, you can tag them from there. It is important to not get too crazy with tags. You don't need to tag for like, you know, it doesn't need to be like, if you click this new recipe post, like click recipe post. I wouldn't do that just because it's going to like muddy up your dashboard. But I mean, you you can, it's not like it's going to hurt anything, but using tags can be really, really powerful based on if you want to segment down the road. That is really interesting because I actually do use ConvertKit and I I wasn't aware of that feature. I mean, I, I did know that tags existed, but I didn't realize you could send out a post about baking or whatever. And then if they open it, you can assign that tag to that user regarding baking, right? Yep. Exactly. That's exactly. And that's the thing. So and you wouldn't even probably need to do that. So the way I think of it, am I tagging something that I am going to send a dedicated individual email out for? If so, I will create the tag. But if it's just like, chicken recipe, you know, like I'm not going to tag that with chicken because it's like, even if I have a baked good recipe, I'm still going to email my whole list about that. And that's what I was saying before is like, you don't need to go overboard with tags. But if you do have very different audiences, which a lot of us do, you know, you might have people that, you know, if you're a general blog, um, but you have, you know, a big audience of vegan readers, you don't, you might not want to send a chicken recipe to those vegan readers. So you can segment your, you know, your emails so that any meat based products wouldn't go to a vegan reader. Gotcha. That's really cool. And that's a great tip. And I'm going to actually look into that later. So thank you. Yeah. And that's the thing is for you, you know, if you wanted to send something out, um, you know, to your blog about your podcast, that's what you would do. It's just a totally separate audience. You know, I have people coming to me that, you know, want a keto recipe. And then I have other people that are just fellow bloggers that want to learn about how I'm building my business. And I'm going to send those two groups of people entirely different information because some that's coming to me for a keto recipe, I highly, it's highly unlikely that they're also interested in blogging. And I don't want to inundate them with just another email. So on any given day, we could be sending four different emails, but you know, one subscriber is only getting one of those emails. We want to annoy the fewest amount of people possible. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good rule. I love that. (laughs) So there are a lot of different opinions out there regarding pop-ups on blogs, especially for bloggers who rely on ad revenue and who already have a full visual space with ads, whether mobile or desktop. So talk to us about how to best optimize our site so that we are getting as many subscribers as possible. And where do you recommend putting a general sign up form? So this is a question that I could see so many people not agreeing with me on. Um, But I will say, I'll start with saying that this is very strategic what I'm doing. So my main goal is to build my email list. Um, I do obviously also make a good living off of my ad revenue. But 
I also am most focused on building my email list because that's where I've seen that I can make the most money in the long run. Um, so I do have a pop-up on my site. Actually, I have multiple pop-ups. They're not all showing up at once, but you know, depending on what post you're on, we customize all that so that if you're on like a blogging related post, a specific pop-up is going to show for you. And if you're on a recipe post, a different pop-up is going to show for you. Just like I was saying, so that we can target that person and then tag them in ConvertKit as they move through a sequence. So a lot of people will disagree with me. Um, I know that there's lots of SEO people that will definitely disagree because it is very true. Google does not like pop-ups, but you can make it and customize it so that it's not immediate. You don't want to go to someone's site and then within half a second have a pop-up. That is not a good user experience and they're very likely to click off. So you can customize that depending on what you're using. To you know, For us, we're usually waiting 20 to 30 seconds or using an exit intent pop-up, which basically means if it's you know that we think that they're probably gonna go click the X, then a pop-up might show up depending on what you know the frequency and how quickly they're going to the X. This is all like getting into the weeds. But I get a lot of signups for my pop-up. So we keep it there because it does work. However, if you don't want to use a pop-up, you certainly don't have to, and you can still get signups. You can put opt-in forms in various different places on your site. I recently had a site redesign back in 2018, and we built my site design around having multiple and very different looking opt-in forms so that if you missed one, you would hopefully see another. So I think across my site right now, we have like five different looking forms that will hopefully grab you and grab your attention so that you're willing to subscribe. So I think that's a fun thing to play around with is putting them in different places, whether that be the sidebar, within the content, the header, you know, header and the footer, places like that. And you can kind of see, you know, if you're willing to dig into the data, see what is like working the best. There's like many different um, platforms that you can use to do these opt-in forms. So for example, you can build forms within ConvertKit but we actually use something called Optin Monster, which is another expense and it can get quite pricey, but it works. And they have a lot of features that we're playing around with that really, really seem to be effective in growing my list without uh, being obtrusive or, you know, being a frustration to the user. Because that's uh, that's also a main goal is I wouldn't want to give a user a bad experience on my site. But I think that what I'm giving to them in my emails is beneficial and that they'll want it because we've worked really hard to look at what are the recipes that they're coming for? What's the content that they want? Let's give that away for free so that they can stay on my list and I can continue to serve them. Yeah, we want it to be a, the best experience possible for them. I loved your thoughts about not only putting forms on different areas of your site, but also maybe giving them a different visual, like making different graphics or maybe putting one in just text or just like playing around and testing and seeing what works and what doesn't. And you can really dig into that data. I know in ConvertKit, you can and see what's working and what isn't working. Yeah. And that's the thing is, and if you look on my site, you'll see that in action, you'll see that we have different opt-in forms and some of, I mean, there are different colors, there's different fonts, they have different language. And it just, because one thing might resonate with someone, another thing might resonate with someone else, or purely they might just be scrolling too fast and miss it. There's a really fun feature um, that has worked tremendously. And if you want to take it, I highly recommend it. It's through Optin 
opt-in monster and it's called attention activation and you can see it um, in the works on my site right now so if, as you scroll through in a post you'll see that as you get to that opt-in form uh, the rest of the screen will kind of be grayed out and the opt-in form will be highlighted it's really cool and it, you as you scroll through if you don't want to opt in you just go right past it but it really does quite literally activate the attention on that subscriber form and we have seen it work really, really well ever since we implemented it. That is so cool. I am looking at it right now. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's very neat. And I, I honestly, I we've gotten a lot of signups and I haven't gotten any like bad feedback from it. And I've been trying to ask people like, did you notice it? And everyone's like, yeah, I noticed it, which is really cool because often we're so blind to that stuff. If we're coming to a recipe post, we just want the recipe, you know, we're, you know, doing the jump to recipe button just to get to the recipe card. So they're missing all that stuff. And I'm trying to, you know, still give the user what they want by giving them these options to get to the recipe, but also, you know, working hard to make sure that if they're coming to my site, they hopefully like the content that's there and trying to get them to stay and then return. All right. I, I'm just like captivated by your site because it's beautiful. So, okay, back to the interview. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like I, that's all recently redesigned. Like I said, it was in late 2018. Oh and I still am like, it's so pretty. I love it. It is so <laughs> pretty. I just want to like stay here forever. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that was um, Melissa Rose Design and Once Coupled. Highly recommend. <laughs> wow. Okay, so back to my notes. Um, that is all really great information, Sarah. I have just a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. How long should our emails be? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule. Uh, it depends on what content you're putting in them. You also don't want to like overload it. So I would never say like, hey, send an email with 10 images. That's very, it's very likely that it's going to go either into spam or into the promotions folder. So if you're a Gmail user, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that there is like different folders. And we, the main goal that we have is always to be in the, the primary inbox and not in that promotions folder because so many people, including myself, very rarely are clicking over to the promotions folder just because we don't want to look at another email that's probably from Old Navy about another 60% off sale. But that's where often a lot of bloggers' emails are going because they're inundating you with links and different texts and images and just a file that's basically just too big. So I think that like if you keep the message succinct, you can make it a little bit longer. You can make it fun. You can add a GIF if you want. We've been adding GIFs to emails and people really seem to like that. Um, but I don't think that there's necessarily like try to keep it under 500 words, play around with it, make sure that you're subscribed to your own email list and that you have a promotions folder that's there to see where that email is going. Because, you know, like I said, the goal that you should have is to make it so that it goes into that primary inbox. And the way you're going to do that is to make sure it's more text based than it is image or, you know, like with a large file in it, the less uh, links and images that you have in your email, the more likely it is to go into the primary inbox. Oh, wow. That's really interesting, too. Yeah, we've seen that happen. It's interesting. I mean, it can really be we'll do like an email that looks almost identical to a different email and one will go into promotions and one will go into primary. And that's another thing. Your service provider, their deliverability rates are going to vary. So that's something you're going to want to look into. And compared to MailChimp, ConvertKit is light years better about me getting into the primary inbox or just generally staying up spam because very often MailChimp, my MailChimp emails, particularly we're going into spam and no one is going to read those. That's interesting about MailChimp going more likely into the promotions folder. 
Yeah. And I, I can't even say for sure if that's just something with their deliverability. I just from my experience, we noticed it a lot. And especially in the beginning, probably more so because I didn't really know what I was doing. I can't say for sure. But a lot of them were going into spam. And I mean, come on, what a waste of time that was spending all this time to get people on my list, taking the time to write an email, all those things. And then for it to just go to spam is like soul crushing. Yeah, absolutely. Can you quickly walk us through an ideal starting point for bloggers who might just be starting out with email lists? Where do you recommend that they start and how often, etc.? Yeah. So the first thing you're going to want to do is to create a lead magnet. This could also be like a really long drawn on conversation, but I'll try to keep it succinct. A lead magnet is also known as a freebie or a content upgrade. It's basically free content that we want to give away that is extremely relevant to the content that's on your site and the content that you plan to provide ongoing. So let's say if you have a recipe site, I wouldn't necessarily say that you should do just cooking tips. I would probably say if you're only going to be posting about recipes, you should have a recipe ebook, something like that. Unless you are, of course, going to continually have posts about cooking tips, then that would be your lead magnet. So what we want to do is we want to first start with, this is the only way people are going to sign up for your list. I say that for certain. No one wants to just be put on another newsletter. Do not use the term newsletter because people don't like it and they won't sign up for it because that's the last thing they need. Sell them on a free content upgrade that they can get from you that's going to immediately be delivered to them in their inbox that's going to show them who you are and what you have to offer. So you can make this in Canva. You can look at my site. You can download one of my tons of free um, eBooks that we have. I think we have over 15 now. And you can look at what we did. Those most are created in um, an Adobe product, usually Illustrator. But the first one I made, I spent one day and I did it all in Canva for free. So they have different ebook templates and you can create a, cri- a quick recipe ebook on Canva and then immediately get that hooked up with your email service provider to get your list going. And you can sign up for these email service providers simply by going to their site. You can look at their pricing. You can you know look at the tier options because that's basically what they're based on is the subscriber tier number, meaning that you know zero to 2000 subscribers cost this much, 2001 to 5000 cost this much and so on. So that's kind of where you want to get started is first make sure that you have that free resource that they can immediately download, set it up. I know that the tech of all this is the scariest part, um, but there are so many resources online that you can find that are either free or paid. Sometimes paying for a course is more worth it to get things set up properly the first time, or you can pay someone to do it. We've done that in the past when I'm just like, I don't have time. I need someone else to do this. And then they'll set it up for you. If you go into like you know, a myriad of different Facebook groups that are based with virtual assistants or something and just say, Hey, I need convert kit set up for me. You'll get dozens of responses. So that's an option too. But if you want to just do it on your own for free, that's great practice. And I actually highly suggested in the beginning so that you can kind of figure out what you're doing and how this all works so that down the road, if you want to outsource it, you could explain it to someone and that by getting that free resource on your site, you're going to immediately see a super increase of skyrocketing of subscribers. Wow, that's great information. And I do think there's value in learning those things yourselves because you do want to know how to do them. And if somebody comes to you later, you want to be able to help them, right? I mean, I would say absolutely. It kind of, dep- and the thing is, is I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, across the board will say that I've done that. There's been specific projects where I'm just like, I don't want to have to learn it because it seems so complex. So I think that 
in the beginning, it's really important to just spend the time, learn the background details of as much as you can, but also don't fault yourself if tech isn't your thing. I struggled with that for so long, especially my husband works in IT. A lot of the things seem to come natural to him. And I would have like meltdowns of being like, I just don't get how it works. And I've spent so much time and it's not triggering properly. People are getting emails they don't want to get, you know, all those things. And it, it's really, it's, you know, it's hard for us mentally because we feel like our blogs are an extension of us. So if, if you can learn it, that's great. And I suggest that you try, but if, if you're really having trouble, it's okay to seek out help. Even if that's just, you know, free help in a free, you know, Facebook group that's, you know, for food bloggers or other bloggers or online marketers. And if you have to go so far as, you know, signing up for one-on-one co- coaching for someone that is really good with the tech for ConvertKit or MailChimp to teach you, that's even better. But if it needs to be so much so that, that you need them to set it up for for you, maybe ask them to record themselves doing it so that you can take note of that and do it yourself in the future. But it's, it's okay if it's, you know, a huge struggle. Cause I know that that's what I hear from everyone. All my clients are like, I know the importance of an email list because I've kind of drilled it into them, but it's often like, I don't understand how to actually do it and implement it. It seems so confusing. There's so much terminology and I don't want to spend the time on it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of in that boat. So totally understand that perspective too. Okay. One last question for you before we say goodbye. Do you have any tips for writing enticing subject lines? Ooh, I I actually don't. Um, And to be totally frank with you, a lot of the subject lines that we use are extremely simple and they still get open. So my uh, executive assistant, she always tries to do fun ones. And sometimes she's the one that's usually like manually going in and putting, you know, my broadcast in for my new content. And I'll go in and look and they'll be like really long subject lines that are really fun with emojis. Um, And sometimes those work great. But then other times I'll just make one that's just like, keto, bacon, coleslaw. And that does fantastic. You know, so I think it kind of depends on your audience. A lot of times the way I'm thinking of it is that most of my users and probably the people that are listening to are on mobile and subject lines are usually cut off. So sometimes keeping them really short so they can read everything is actually really beneficial. But I know that a lot of our online marketers are probably rolling their eyes at me and saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. It really is just a preference. And it's all a guess and check. It's trial and error. And that's what we're constantly doing. We're always, you know, trying new things. And then we'll see that that works. And then the next thing doesn't. But as long as you take the time to like dig into the data of it, I think that that is what's most important. You can see what's resonating best with your particular audience, that they might like the ones with emojis and longer subject lines with a really fun email. For us, that's just not necessary. We keep it really succinct, straight to the point and simple. It saves us time and we still see a ton of traffic. Constant testing, right? Just testing what people want. That is what blogging is. Absolutely. In every aspect, every form. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I foresee maybe a part two in our future because I feel like I could go on and on, but I do have to let you go. Unfortunately, Sarah, (laughs) it was such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you. Yes. So before you go, do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with our fellow food bloggers? Be consistent. Just be consistent. I like it. Simple simple and powerful. Exactly. Sarah has a list of favorite resources relating to email list growth, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Sarah N with no H. Sarah, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Yeah, absolutely. So my blog is just real balanced 
com. There's a D at the end of that. And then it's Real Balanced across basically every social platform aside from Facebook, which is Real Balanced Blog. Awesome. Thank you for listening today, food bloggers. And I will catch you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.